0: Hey y'all, this is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, NPR Correspondents Elise Hugh and Ada Peralta. Alright, let's start the show.
1: Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my guest, Ada Peralta, international correspondent for NPR, based in Nairobi, Kenya, but just spent some time in Venezuela. Hey, Sam. And Elise Hugh, recovering correspondent from abroad <laughs> uh, here at NPR West, but formerly of South Korea. Gotta note, up. all of us today have spent time in Texas. Elise and I claim Texas. Ado, not so much. I married into Texas. Okay, <laughs> that'll work. He's Texan-in-law. <laughs> yes. That's right. But he's from Florida, and we're joined in studio by another person from Florida, T-Pain. I'm playing T-Pain this week in this classic song, Why You Would Drink, because T-Pain won a singing contest. When? This week. Huh. A contest called The Masked Singer. Oh, you love
2: Masked Singer. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> Masked Singer is the dumbest concept <laughs> reality show. Well, tell
1: folks I what mean, the concept is. I feel is. like
2: America has hit the nadir. Like- <laughs> oh, and I'm fine
1: with it. So this week, T-Pain won the biggest singing competition in the country right now According called The to Mass Sam, Singer. According to the ratings! <laughs> ten, Almost 10 million people watched the premiere. So what did he sing? He sung a lot of songs, but basically the whole premise is uh, celebrities... B and C list sometimes wear these elaborate <laughs> costumes and masks and perform certain songs. Wild and, mask. And these celebrity judges <laughs> and the audience have to decide and guess who it is. Uh, and so these costumes are kind of creepy.
2: That's the whole premise of the show. That's the whole premise
1: of the show. <laughs> Fun fact though, the, this show, The Masked Singer, started out in Korea.
2: Oh, of, of course it did. <laughs>
1: Have you watched that
2: version? You were there. These are both first world countries, um, sort of writhing around in late capitalism. Wow. (laughs) Just swirling around. Swirling (laughs) around in late capitalism, nothing else to do. Can
1: both of you just Google Mass Singer to see what the costumes look like? Because I want you to see the costumes. Okay. Ader, just Google Mass Singer T Pain. The costumes are insane.
2: Can you hear the excitement in Sam's voice? I'm he, so excited about Sam's I know. <laughs> he loves <laughs> Masked I love Singer. to hate it. I love to hate he it. He loves Masked Singer like nothing else. Oh and my T-Pain God. won this week. That is great because I do legitimately support and uh, stand oh, wow. T-Pain's talent.
1: Also, he's so smart. He also released a new album this week, too. Oh, nice. He's riding that news cycle. This was his costume.
3: <laughs> yeah, these costumes are just, wow. Wow. <laughs> How do you sing through, like, a, like, bunny outfit? (laughs) Anyways,
1: congratulations to T-Pain on winning the Masked Singer and putting out a new album this week. I like him a lot. He was the soundtrack of my college. Mm, Sing, yeah. So, into it. All right. We're going to start the show as we always do. I'm going to ask each of my guests to describe their week of news in only three words. Elise. You are up to this challenge.
2: My words are deal? No deal. You have to kind of say (laughs) it like that.
1: Also another popular American show. Right. (laughs) Deal or no deal. Love you, Howie Mandel. We're
2: staying on this theme.
1: (laughs) So what deal are you talking about?
2: President Trump went to Hanoi for his big second summit with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un last year. So just eight months ago, I was in Singapore covering their first historic summit, the one between the U.S. and North Korea. Their heads of state had never met before. They signed this joint agreement. Which which was a little hollow. It was a little hollow, but the U.S. really clung to this notion that North Korea committed to denuclearizing the Korean peninsula. Yes. So fast forward to January and February of this year, uh, my sources indicate to me that even though these working-level talks weren't bridging a big gap Uh between North Korea and the United States, Trump went ahead and called for a summit. Mm -hmm. And they met, and they had a dinner together, and they seemed to be warm. Um, Trump touched Kim Jong-un's arm a lot. You know, (laughs) arm touch is supposed to be intimate. And
3: (laughs) But we got no images of this, right? This wasn't like a like an Angela Merkel George Bush
1: thing. Oh, no, no,
2: no, no. It wasn't a shoulder rub. That was, that looked like assault. But
1: <laughs> I don't think Trump would do that because he's kind of a germaphobe. Right. I couldn't see him touching someone that intensely. He did a light, a did light, a light touch.
2: elbow touch
1: in the Purell a couple times, a couple
2: times, and then uh, the next day on the public schedule after bilateral meetings between the two sides um, and their translators. On the schedule there was a lunch mm-hmm. and then a joint signing yes. uh, ceremony. Abruptly during the and towards the end of the bilateral Reporters were notified, hey, the lunch has been canceled and so has the signing ceremony.
1: How much of a shock was that to journalists following this story? That
2: was a huge surprise to all of us. Huh. I mean, all of these networks are having to scramble. The reporters there are like, we don't know what is about to happen. Yeah. Something is happening. Yeah. And what happened was the two sides couldn't bridge the gap. They couldn't make a deal.
1: And apparently if this is because um, North Korea wanted sanctions taken away
2: before they began to denuclearize. Yeah, so there's sequencing going on, yeah. right? (laughs) I mean, both sides offered something that the other wanted, but not enough of what the other wanted. And so there's some actual disagreement now um, between the president, the U.S. president's take on this, which was, oh, North Korea wanted all the sanctions lifted. But North Korea says, North Korea had this rare press conference in which its foreign minister said, you know what? We did not say all. We said partial. So there's Mm. so
1: there's differing stories. Yeah, there's different
2: differing stories. And do you believe Donald Trump or do you believe the North Korean regime? I mean, it's so are
1: they in a worse spot after this summit than they were before?
2: Both sides are spinning it. Both sides are spinning it saying, you know what? We're still mutual admiration and they're trying to salvage the relationship so that more talks can go forward.
3: But these are like basic disagreements, right? At least like I mean, like this isn't like over like the nitty gritty. This is over like
2: what denuclearization means.
3: They don't yeah. know. They haven't figured that
1: out no,
2: yet. No, they came out of two summits now, two head of state level summits and haven't figured that out.
3: I
1: was reading in the punditry around Trump and this summit. A lot of folks on the left, a lot of Democrats said it was actually appropriate for him to pull out when he did.
2: Bipartisan praise huh. for not making a deal huh. because mm. everybody is relieved that the U.S. president made no deal instead of a bad deal. So yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy week. It's Wednesday was another one of those days that was like, today has been a long week, which we can say for a lot of for a things.
1: lot of things, for a lot of things. So Aider, you have three words also about another part
3: of the world. Yep, South America and Venezuela. You were um, just there, huh? I was. Yeah, I spent a, a couple of weeks down there, uh, and I would go with hope, fear, and disillusionment. That's heavy. Uh, so I guess it was a little more than a month ago that uh, the opposition leader in Venezuela, Juan Guaidó, stood up in front of uh, hundreds of thousands of people and declared himself president. So you had uh, President Nicolás Maduro and Interim President Juan Guaidó. And And both of them
1: are saying we're the rightful leader of this country.
3: We're the rightful leader. And so this week was really pivotal for Juan Guaidó he and the opposition came up uh, with a scheme. Mm -hmm. They put aid with the help of the United States and and the dozens of other countries who recognize Guaido as a legitimate leader of Venezuela. They set up aid all along the border of Venezuela. And they said, you know, on Saturday, this past Saturday, we are getting this aid in. And the hope was that the military would say, We're going to let it through because Juan Guaido is the legitimate president of this country. Mm -hmm. Except that's not what happened.
1: Okay, what Uh, happened?
3: In Caracas, not a single military man turned on Maduro. And uh, along the border, one of the eight trucks was set on fire.
1: So then now there's this situation where there are two guys in Venezuela saying, hey, I'm the actual leader. Um, The U.S. uh, is supporting Guaido. Maduro has been a controversial figure for a long time. Why has resistance to him reached this flashpoint now as opposed to any time in the last number of years?
3: Stuff is really bad in Venezuela right now. Uh I mean, the economic crisis is just, it's rough. So somebody makes... uh, you know eighteen thousand bolivares a month, which is about the base salary there, and a a pack of toilet paper is twenty thousand right oh. People are having a hard time eating um, wow. there's children dying of malnutrition, um you know dying of very simple things like diarrhea or or uh-huh. cold, right Things are bad
1: My question with all of it it's like you both have been following these international stories. Uh, from North Korea, from Venezuela. How is the Trump White House interacting with leadership in both of those countries? And is it different or the same? Are there through lines in the way that the Trump White House is handling these tense international situations? Elise?
2: I can speak to the Korea situation and then send it over to you, Ader. But for me, I um The big difference between covering Obama dealing with the North Korea situation and Trump in dealing with the North Korea situation is preparation. This isn't exclusive to Obama, actually. All of American diplomacy in modern years has actually been a lot more thorough in terms Hmm. of preparation at the working level. Previous diplomatic norms is bottom up. So huh. in negotiating the Iran deal for example uh-huh. uh there were so I mean there were so many discussions going on between allies to the United States and with the Iranian side um until the principles could finally get to a signature mm-hmm. the Trump uh method is completely flipped so mm. the Trump method is I'm going to call for this and I'm going to deal with it I alone I'm going to deal with it and then um details try, later details later right yeah.
1: so for Ader did you see a similar, perhaps, lack of preparation in the way the U.S. engaged with Guaido and uh, Maduro this week and last.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think th- I'll point out two things. Okay. One is that the Obama administration had said that the Monroe Doctrine, which is uh, a doctrine that the U.S. views the Latin America as its backyard and will, you know, come in when they need to. The Obama administration had called that off. They had <laughs> said that was over. Obviously. <laughs> the Trump administration has said, absolutely not. This is our backyard. We care. Hmm. But similarly to what Elie said, diplomacy always has this idea of escalation in mm-hmm. mind. Right? So you have to know where you're going with this and mm-hmm. how you're going to escalate if what you don't want to happen happens. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it seems like like the US um did not think this particular escalation through mm. ditto hanoi okay on that note <laughs>
1: uh y'all i have three words as well
2: go for it sam <laughs> what are your you. three words the masked singer
1: yeah no <laughs> my three words are left and right hmm. because i've been spending a hmm. lot of time uh reading into how the 2020 race for president might see a left that's further left Hmm. than ever before and a right that is further right than ever before. Um, Hmm. A bit of evidence for that case uh, came about this week when multiple Democratic candidates for president in 2020 began to talk about reparations right American slave this yeah so the last two weeks um, Kamala Harris Elizabeth Warren Julian Castro they said they're prepared to talk about this program and do some reparations through tax credits and subsidies the conversation is so serious now speaker of the house Nancy Pelosi even said that she would support a bill to establish a commission to look at this thing yeah I would have never guessed that. (laughs) I would have never guessed it, you know. And so that shows how far left the left is moving right now. But there's also evidence that the right is moving for the right as well.
2: Well, you know, one example of really fast policy shift that I didn't expect in our adult years um, was how America is now totally cool with same-sex marriage. Yeah. And legalization of marijuana. Uh, marijuana. I mean, we're sitting here in California where you it's can just very, very legal.
3: You... I, I, I'm wondering what you guys think what that does since I don't live in the United States. I mean, what does that do to like interpersonal relationships?
2: You mean reparations? Yeah, no, no,
3: like, like, talk like this. I mean, this idea that the left is super left, the right is super right. So does that actually affect interpersonal relationships? So this is the thing that's been
1: really interesting. Um, There's been some really interesting demographic and survey work that shows that both sides left and right are more influenced, and they're more partisan, because of their views on race. Uh, And race Hmm. has become central to the way that people conceptualize their political identity now. And Trump has been part of that. You know, there's data that suggests that there were lots of voters, lots of white voters, who had liberal points of view on certain issues, but then they voted for Trump in part because he, he ran on ID'd it. with them on, on you know certain mm-hmm. racial issues, yeah. right? And because views on race and who is being hurt or helped in this current climate, because they're so different, you see the left and right end up on totally different, different sides of this coin in a way that just makes it so much more partisan than it's been in a long time. Mm. Yeah. On that note, time for a break. Coming up, what would you do if you got 20 or 40 or $100,000 on your 18th birthday? We talked to a member of a Native American tribe in North Carolina where that is exactly what happens. I'm Sam Sanders. You're
3: listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. We often think of luck as something random,
1: unpredictable, but what if we actually have more control than we
0: think we do? A lot of it has to do with taking tiny risks. It's getting out of your comfort zone. It's paying attention to things that other people don't pay attention to. Ideas
1: on what makes us lucky on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. All right, we're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with Elise Hugh right in studio at NPR West. Hi, Elise. Hello. And all the way in Nairobi, Kenya, Ada Peralta, thank you for making time for us. Hey, Sam, thank you. All right, all right. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance where we call up someone around the country or the world and talk with them about the news in their neck of the woods. This week, we're going to North Carolina uh, and talking to a member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. This tribe in North Carolina has been cutting really big checks for their members when they turn 18. Hmm. First, a bit about the tribe.
0: Basically, our ancestors were forced off their land in a forced removal called the Trail of Tears. And those that stayed and hid in the mountains is what makes up the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians today.
1: That is Shayashe Little Dave. She wrote about her tribe and their money and her money for Topic Magazine. So this tribe, the Eastern Band Cherokees, there are about 14,000 members. They have a few casinos in western North Carolina. Harris manages those casinos, but the tribe gets a big cut of the profits. And some of that money goes towards social services. But some of that money also goes to tribal members directly. Twice a year, every member of the tribe gets a check. Most recently, about $7,000 per check per person. Wow. But here's the thing. If you're under 18, you don't get that money. Instead, they save it up for you, and then they give it to you in a few lump sum payments after your 18th birthday. They call it big money. And because the casinos are doing so well... Some teenagers have been getting checks that are over $100,000 cash.
2: Yikes. Wow.
1: What would y'all do with $100,000 at the age of 18?
2: See, I'm tempted to make an office space joke now. Do it. No, no. <laughs> it's inappropriate.
3: <laughs> Ada, what would you do with it? Uh, as an 18-year-old? Yeah. I would just leave for like <laughs> a few months. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, anyways, I wanted to ask Shea about all of this. Hello. Hello. Hey, how are you?
0: I am well. How are you? I'm pretty good. She
1: got big money when she turned 18, but she is 34 now. All right, here's our chat. How much was your big money payout?
0: Mine was still like in the baby stages. So it was really maybe about 16 to 17000 I think, after taxes. That's still a decent amount of money. It is. And it was enough to buy me a brand new car at the time. Okay. And it's so funny to think about now because when you hear all these kids and this large amount of money that they're getting... I used to get, like, really jealous. I'm like, man, what would I do with all that? But yeah. at the same time, just being able to go in and buy a brand new car off the lot, that I mean, that's something that everybody can do. Oh, yeah. You know, I was fortunate to be part of this tribe that was um, able to provide this for its members. And, you know, that car lasted me a good almost 10 years. It so, was a
1: Toyota, right?
0: It was a Toyota Corolla.
1: Those are those are sturdy cars. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it lasted a good while.
1: That's awesome. Now, you wrote this story about other people who have been getting the big money and how they've kind of maybe not spent that money as wisely as they could have. You you profiled, what, four or five um, young folks who basically told you what they did with their money. Can you run through quickly what those folks were buying and how much money they were getting?
0: There was, um, I think, one um, that uh, he was about my age. Mm -hmm. Um, and he received about 16, 17,000 and he'd got a car and tried to put a deposit on a house and things like that. And then he ended up, um, losing the bulk of his money to, uh, drug use because he had an addiction. He grew Mm -hmm. up around addiction and it was just something that his went to. Fortunately, the rest of everybody else that, um, that was interviewed, these kids are like wising up. They're very aware of the amounts that they're getting, um, They're aware that it can help them, you know, off into the future, that they'll have this little bit of cushion. They're aware of people that may have not been present in their lives, just kind of showing up, you know, when it's close to time to get their big money. Um, Mm -hmm. They're very aware that there's stuff that goes on sale specifically during that time. You You wrote that the car
1: dealerships will, like, put cars on sale when the checks come out.
0: Yeah, there'll be cars on the side of the road, you know, and per cap specials and things like that. And yeah. So I was... I was kind of blown away because really? I expected to hear more. Yeah, I was just kind of expected to hear more, just, you know, I don't have any left or anything like that. But mm-hmm. a lot of them were like, we have some saved, you know, my family's yeah. going to be taken care of and things like that. So it was really cool.
1: That's awesome. You know, I loved how in this article you wrote, you talk about these kids that knew that they needed to save some, put some away, be responsible with it, but they also allowed themselves to have a fun like first purchase like you wrote about the first thing they bought this guy Uh landing french you talked to it was so cute the first thing you bought was a red hot jelly peppers t-shirt and then there was a young woman who was like i'm buying a prada bag i'm gonna save this money whatever but like one thing is gonna spoil me i did you have (laughs) besides your car like one little spoil thing that you bought
0: i can't recall because i think i just probably had enough for for the car car.
1: (laughs) that was your spoil
0: And it's so funny because, you know, I talked about it in the article and we just didn't think about it at the time because, you know, we just had it in cash. So my dad has this like brown paper bag and this all this cash just rolled up in it. And, and that's so what I took to the dealership? <laughs> yeah. I it's love funny it. now, but yeah, I think I just had enough for the car and that's it. But I mean, that's a new car at 18. So, you know, I can't really complain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I found it so interesting that we found your article and are talking to you this week because uh-huh. there's another conversation happening right now about large payments to a marginalized group. A lot of candidates running for president as Democrats are talking uh-huh. increasingly about reparations for slave descendants. And oh, wow. there's, a, yeah, there's a conversation about whether it should be tax credits or payouts or whatever. And it's kind of like, Huh there I mean one it's not sure that that thing will happen but there would be parallels with the kind of payments in your tribe and I wonder in that conversation around reparations are there lessons from how your tribe has dealt with big money that could be applicable to that conversation
0: You know that's a really good question and and I do like the fact that you know it all came from us being able to get a casino and being able to use that because you know, there wasn't very much economic development here. We're in a, you know, we're in a Valley in the middle of the mountains Mm. and things like that. And, you know, we're able to get this per capita money, but we're also benefiting because this money is going to other things to help benefit the tribe as a whole, instead of just the individual. Um, and I keep saying this word fortunate, but I feel incredibly fortunate, um, to be part of this tribe because there's so much that they're doing to help out our enrolled members.
1: Yeah. Well, because, you know, on top of the kids getting big money when they turn 18, the tribe also pays for college for them should they go, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And there's money for medical emergencies and healthcare. So yeah, it it does seem like a kind of comprehensive thing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It is interesting though to hear you say that you're grateful to be part of your tribe because at the top of our conversation, you talked about the horror that was the Trail of Tears and how the folks in your mm-hmm. tribe had to, like, hide from that. And, I mean, there's a there, there's a lot of history that tribes like yours yeah. have experienced in America. And when mm-hmm. I think, when I imagine what folks in tribes would say about the lot of their tribes, I wouldn't expect to hear the word grateful.
0: Well, and, I, you know, um, I took part in this ride uh, two years ago It's called Remember the Removal bike ride. And basically mm. um, I got to go with a group and we rode a bike from New Echota, Georgia to Oklahoma. So it was like close to 900 miles on a bike during the summer. And um, uh, basically we, we uh, retraced the northern route of the Trail of Tears. Mm. And the entire time we got to visit various sites where there were encampments and where we learned that um, our some of our ancestors were you know, corralled and you know, our babies died and the elderly died and, you know, unmarked graves and all these things. And and when I see that, you know, we came back from all this tragedy in our history. Yeah. And we're, we're just, just a strong people. And mm. how could you not? How could you not be grateful and proud to yeah. be part of that? Yeah. You know?
1: It's funny. I've been thinking all week now, reading your article and getting ready to talk to you about what I would do right now if I got some big money and I was like uh-huh. See, what was the first thing I would buy. And then I was just like, food. I would just go
0: to a bunch <laughs> of fancy restaurants and
1: eat a bunch of fancy food.
0: If I have, it's gonna sound really bad, but I would I would go to New York and catch yep. every single Broadway show I could watch.
1: That is a wonderful idea. <laughs> well thank you so much uh, for telling your people's story and for sharing it with us. And I really enjoyed this conversation.
0: Well, thank you, and thank you for for reaching out. And I'm just be glad to be able to have this platform.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you.
0: Thank you so much.
1: All right. Bye bye. Bye. It's really interesting to hear her talk about that because I don't know. I'm obsessed with this debate
3: about how to best help people. Oh programs yeah, programs a- or money. Or both. So I mean, this is also like super topical with Venezuela because this is oh, really? exactly this is exactly the conversation the Venezuelans are having, which mm-hmm. is does socialism work? Mm-hmm.
2: And then also the whole origin of this was fascinating to me too, which was Ronald Reagan wanted to cut federal programs yeah. that helped native people. Yeah, and he did, and in exchange promoted this whole gaming thing in which you mm-hmm. could Just earn private money, money. Yeah. right? Yeah. And that. Led to a lot of different social problems and consequences of gaming, like yeah. addiction and all of that. But then also, it's unequal, right? The distribution of gaming money to various tribes. We're we're talking about the Eastern Man of Cherokee, but that's not all Cherokee, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and it's actually not all tribes too that have gaming, um, and so and run gaming. Yeah. So.
1: I- I do think that it is good to like start having conversations candidly about what people do with their money. Yeah. I do think overall in America we don't talk about money and how it affects us and how we use mm-hmm. it enough. So I was really happy to hear this conversation where we're just saying let's let's talk about what yep. we do with our money. Yeah. Before our break, I wanna share an early submission to our best thing all week segment. This one came from Sandy in Iowa.
2: Hi Sam, this is Sandy from Dallas Center, Iowa. The best part of my week was opening an email from my husband that said, this might be fun to attend. It was the ad for your upcoming appearance in Des Moines. Might be fun? Yes! See you in May. (laughs)
1: Yes, yes listeners I'm going to Iowa uh, Sandy is correct Come join me for a live show in Des Moines, Iowa On Thursday, May 9th I have not been back to Iowa since like
2: the, the last election
1: cycle But I like it there and I'm going back I will be there with my good friend And colleague Sarah McCammon And with Iowa Public Radio's Clay Masters We'll be talking about 2020 And politics and fun stuff Get your tickets right now at iowapublicradio.org iowapublicradio.org. Thursday, May 9th, Des Moines. All right, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back.
3: Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, developing solutions to support strong families and communities to help ensure a brighter future for America's children. More information is available at aecf.org. Hey, it's Peter Sagal from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. If you're a normal Wait, Wait listener, you shout out the answers to all the questions, and then you get frustrated that no one can tell how smart you are. Here's the solution, the Wait, Wait quiz, available now on your smart speaker. Just ask your smart speaker to open the Wait, Wait quiz. Finally, your
1: genius shall be recognized. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Elise Hugh. NPR West correspondent covering literally the future. I love that beat. (laughs) And Ada Peralta joining us from Nairobi, Kenya, uh, where he covers international news. Hey, Sam. All right, you guys, it's time for my favorite game Who Said That?
0: that. that?
1: You know how it works. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that, or at least get close. Get the story that I'm referring to. The winner, as you know, gets absolutely nothing. Ada, you've never played before, have you? Ah, uh,
3: no. This is this is the first time you have me on. Wow.
1: Oh man, if you, you haven't
2: played and you beat me, this is going to be so sad. I'm so I am like notoriously poor at this game. <laughs> But I love it so much.
3: <sighs> also, I've been traveling for three weeks, so
2: I don't know. Everyone You're up to tries, date on the headlines.
1: Everyone tries right? to imply lower that the they're expectations. Lose. Right? Yeah, don't lower the expectations. Be be be, be confident. <laughs> Excuses. Yes. Yes. All right. right. Anyways, here we go. First quote. We're gonna play the first Ooh. quote for
2: you all. Okay. I'm warning you, you <laughs> Likely, because
0: what I'm gonna do to you is gonna be disgusting. Do you
2: understand me? Michael Cohen. Okay.
1: (laughs) Michael Cohen. Yes.
2: That was Michael Cohen threatening... NPR's Tim Mack yes. while he was at the Daily Beast yes. over a story that he was reporting on uh, Trump and his ex-wife, Ivana.
1: Yes. This is all in the news this week because Michael Cohen, former personal attorney for Donald Trump, testified before Congress. And over the course of that testimony, an old conversation between our NPR colleague Tim Mack and Michael Cohen was brought into this testimony.
2: As part of the Republican effort to discredit well, Michael morning. Cohen.
0: Tread very effing lightly, because what I'm going to do to you is going to be effing disgusting. You understand
2: me. Mr. Cohen, who said that?
1: I did. It was a whole day of crazy testimony with Michael Cohen. uh, But Tim Mack, our colleague, reacted to having his conversation brought up in the halls of Congress. What did he say? He said, quote... In 2015, sitting in a conference room talking with Michael Cohen on the phone, I could not have conceived of a future where the interview would be cited by Jim Jordan in a (laughs) dim-controlled House (laughs) oversight committee during a Trump presidency.
2: (laughs) So many elements there are unbelievable and incredulous.
1: (laughs) Anyway, uh, Elise, you're up one zip. Yes. Ada, it's okay. I'll make a comeback. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Next quote. When you're singing love songs, that's what you want people to feel. I'm an artist. I guess we did a good job.
2: Lady Gaga. Yeah? Lady
1: Gaga. Lady Gaga. So she was oh. talking about this Oscars performance where she and Bradley Cooper performed her Oscar-winning song, Shallow, at the Oscars on Sunday night. And if you watched this performance, it was full of what seemed to be some kind of romantic chemistry. At one point, they're sitting next to each other on a piano bench looking like they're about to kiss. And
2: it was steamy. I didn't
1: like it because I was like, this is fake.
3: It was all I could like focus on was Bradley Cooper's feathered hair, so (laughs) I just couldn't.
1: Well, this so like they've been doing this little shtick and this song and dance literally for a few months now. Like, they're not dating, he's dating someone else. She had a fiance that she just broke up with, but But whenever they do this song together, they try to make it seem as if they're like. About to get married, right? Ada, you believed it. No, not one bit.
3: I didn't believe the <laughs> film either, which Whoop. makes me
1: about I oh. think the only person who would well,
2: believe it. you and the Sam I'm with
1: you. I thought that movie was overacted, <sighs> overdirected, and oversang.
2: I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it was <laughs> entertaining. I don't think
1: piece. the songs will hold up either. Oh, if man. the key lyric from your biggest song of the soundtrack is oh. shala la 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 oh, la la, come so- on.
2: Unpopular take.
1: Unpopular take. Anyways, uh, final quote. Ready? Okay. This one's fun, and it's harder to. Quote, the nose is sweet and citrus with orange and pear aromas. It has a soft, pillowy body with a slight cereal taste. Who said that, or what am I talking
3: about? I Obviously, some sort of uh, wine tasting. Not wine, but close. Another alcoholic beverage.
2: Slight, pillowy taste. <laughs>
1: Not wine, but beer. Yes, yes. I mouthed the word <laughs> so you beer. You just gave it to, to her it's the beer. We needed to end this game. <laughs> so, anyways, this was Chris Nykirk. He's a spokesman for a Virginia-based company called Smart Mouth Brewing Company, and he was discussing their recently launched Lucky Charms-flavored beer.
2: Oh.
1: it's called Saturday wow. Morning. It's an IPA with marshmallows.
2: Nope. Nope. Wow. Hard pass.
1: 6.6% alcohol content, and they said it is brewed with in-house toasted marshmallows and bulk dehydrated marshmallow bits. It's been (laughs) hopped and dry hopped with galaxy and calypso hops.
3: That would be cool if the description weren't so
1: pretentious.
2: Just call it beer with dried marshmallows. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Question, though.
1: Would either of you even try this marshmallow IPA?
2: I try everything. No. Really, it's part of my Come brand. At least <laughs> tries.
1: At yep. least tries. Uh, speaking of trying, you obviously tried harder than Ader because you won.
3: <laughs> you won the game, Elise. Not by much. Come on. No, she got all
1: three of them with help. With <laughs> a little help with the last one. Anyways, that concludes. Who said that? Your prize might be one day some marshmallow beer. Oh, congratulations!
2: Thanks, Sam. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right, now it's time to end the show. As we do every week, we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Anjali, hit the tape.
0: Hi, Sam. This is Sophie in Seattle, and the best part of my week is happening right now. I'm leaving my first day back at work after taking maternity leave, and I'm rushing home to see my sweet three-month-old baby boy, Emmett. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hi,
1: Sam. Hi, Sam. It's Nick calling from Canton,
3: Massachusetts, where this week my wife and I moved into our first new home together and we couldn't be happier. Hey Sam, this is Jason from Brea, California. Uh, The best thing that happened to me this week was I proposed to my girlfriend.
0: The best thing that happened to me all week was finally seeing what should have won for best picture, widows.
3: Hey Sam,
1: the best part of my week was going to therapy. It's only been four sessions but I can already tell it's been helpful unpacking some of the junk I've piled in my head over the years.
3: Hi Sam, this is Mimi. The best part of my week was throwing myself a 50th birthday party in which every guest had to bring one of the following, a dog, a musical instrument, or a story to share. We had 40 people, 10 dogs,
0: three guitars, and more stories than I can count. It was a blast. Hi, Sam. This is Rebecca from Vancouver, Washington. Today's going to be the best thing that will happen to me this week because it's family day, the 11th anniversary of the day my husband and I picked up our son from an orphanage in Guatemala City. We are truly blessed and couldn't ask for a better son. We love you, Joseph. Y'all have a great week.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much and have a wonderful weekend. Bye. Those were great.
2: Yeah, I love this So sweet.
1: A few of my favorite things in there. The movie Widows. Yes. Newborns. Mm -hmm. Proposals. Dogs. Dogs. This is a win-win. That party. Wow. Doesn't that sound fun? It does. Oh, man. Thanks to all the folks you heard there. Sophie, Nick, Jason, Sarah, Michael, Mimi, and Rebecca. Uh, And also, shout out to therapy.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: It's good stuff.
2: 100%. It's
1: good stuff. Alright listeners, we listen to all of these that come in Thank you for sharing and keep sharing You can send me the best part of your week At any point throughout the week Just send me an audio file to samsanders at npr.org samsanders at npr.org Gonna close the show with Someone who was the best part Of a certain kind of week And that he won the Mass Singer (laughs) (laughs) The singing competition Sweeping the nation at least, just believe in this show.
2: This show is just an extended promo for the Masked Singer, yes. for which we are getting no kickback.
1: <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> Anyways, congrats to T-Pain, winner of the Masked Singer, also out with a brand new album this week. Uh, I'm gonna make you go watch this show.
2: Yeah, I know this is happening in my future
1: (laughs) Thanks to my guests today, Elise Hugh, correspondent for NPR based at NPR West And Ada Peralta, international correspondent, joining us from Nairobi
2: Thanks, Sam Thank you,
1: Sam. This was fun This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry The show was engineered by Marcia Caldwell Steve Nelson is our director of programming Our fearless editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman Listeners, look for my chat next week with Phoebe Robinson. Yes, that Phoebe Robinson of Two Dope Queens fame. We talk about her podcast and TV show and books, but we also discuss her love of abbreviations.
0: Yeah, I'll say like reservation instead of reservation at a
2: restaurant. (laughs) um, soups Monogs for super monogamous. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Soups Monogs. It was a fun
1: chat. You can hear it on Tuesday in this show's podcast feed. Till then, thank you for listening. T-Pain, I salute you and congratulate you on winning the hardest competition of all time, the Mass Singer. Till next time, I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Every Mass Singer reference stays in this cut every single one
3: (laughs) make it stop (laughs) i'm gonna go watch this you need to go watch it